welcome to Delirium Trigger. Um, I'm your host. My name is Robert Gunn. Um, and for those of you who don't know me, I was in the Marine Corps from 2001 to 2005. I was with uh, 2nd Battalion, 7th Marines, 1st Marine Division. I was uh, with Weapons Company, 81's Platoon. So yeah, I was a mortarman in the Marine Corps. Uh, nothing too glorious. Um, I went into the Marine Corps early 2001. Uh, I think it was Feb uh, March, March of 2001. Uh, one, just to get away from home. And number two, I really wanted to challenge myself. And with that challenge, um, I wanted to do something that was unlike me. Um, I played a lot of uh, roller hockey and ice hockey and stuff growing up. So, you know, I was used to being pretty physical. And I figured, you know, you only have one chance at life. Let's go. Let's go have some fun. So, um, ended up in the Marine Corps. Um, ended up in 29 Palms, California, after everything was said and done. I went to boot camp out at uh, MCRD, Paris Island. Had a lot of fun. Um, you know, I enjoyed it, everything up to that point. Um, you know, I got out to the fleet. Things were definitely different. Way fucking different. <laughs> Sorry, I have a cold. While I'm doing this, it's, it's wonderful, I know. Um, so we got out there. Uh, I had a lot of fun. You know, I met a lot of great people. I uh, got settled into 2-7. Into um, and we started uh, going out to the field. And this was uh, late August. I believe it was the last week or weekend of August. I'm, I'm you know, time is so uh, misconstrued this point um so i get out there go out to the field for the first time end up going out to um just a uh, uh range 400 exercise and um i think we were about two weeks into it and uh september 11th happened and uh, we got pulled around and told that you know uh, World Trade Center had been um, hit with two planes and that the Pentagon was hit and that we were under attack. And of course, you know, our natural reaction was, you know, oh, okay, you know, that's, that's fucking crazy ass training scenario. Nope, wasn't a training scenario. Um, you know, they let us finish out, I believe, the rest of that day. And then the next day they took us back to our barracks. Uh, we packed up, didn't go anywhere, but we packed up. And after we packed up, um, you know, that's when things started to really set in. You know, I was like, sure, I wanted to push myself and do this and do that. But mentally, was I ready for something, you know, of that uh, large of a commitment? Sure. You know, I signed the paperwork. You know, I, I went into the Marine Corps, you know, all this very much so. But it really had never settled in, you know, until um, shit really hit the fan. And after... Um, our first Christmas, uh, well, my first Christmas, I should say, in uh, 20 on Palms, you know, came home, came back. Um, we did some training and we kind of had forgotten about, you know, what kind of had happened with the World Trade Center and everything. And maybe that's just me. Maybe that's not everybody. I mean, it was definitely. Um, there were reminders on a daily basis, uh, especially on the base, right? 
So, you know, more just driving through the front gate. You know, everybody was being checked. Vehicles were being checked. You know, sandbags were at the front. 50 cals, Mark 19s, you know. Um, security had sudden, suddenly went up, you know, because of all this. Um, even around the barracks, we had jersey barriers in the parking lots. You know, nobody could park their cars up in, in front of the rooms anymore. So things had definitely changed, but at the same time, nothing was really conveyed to us that would be going or when we would be going or we would have any kind of effect on anything. So we continued to train. Uh, we went down to Yuma, Arizona and Flagstaff and um, out to Mexicali, a uh, b- bunch of different places, and we just marked for air. Um, and when we came back, after that, man, that must have been about a good six months that we were just rotating to different locations, back out to the field there in 29, running steel night, you know, all these things that we ran, CACs, uh, uh, range 400, range 300, you know, just all these fun things that we did. Um, and then it was finally related to us that we would be going out to Japan. We'd still be doing our uh, Oki pump, so... You know, again, everyone, everybody went uh, home, came back, and uh, we all went to Japan, and that was a, a bit of a culture shock. Um, never been to, hell, I never been out of Virginia, right? You know, I'm, I'm Virginia, born and raised for a good chunk of my life. Um, you know, finished out high school in, in Roanoke, Virginia, southwestern Virginia, and. Um, that point i never really been honestly you know outside of the country been to a couple places been to a couple states but nothing uh that dramatic um so yeah it, it was kind of a culture shock to me uh personally it was very cool you know i was very happy to, to have went um so we're out at camp schwab and, and we keep you know training and we're doing um jungle jungle warfare training center um after that, we went to South Korea and trained with the Rock Marines. Um, that was a lot of fun. You know, I got to do repelling and, and uh, they called uh, Aussie repelling. Uh, we did some war games with them. But man, it was cold as fuck. <laughs> we were out there in the wintertime and uh, we were in Pohang. And, you know, we're, we're in GP tents out there on just a little small base. Um didn't really have any uh, warm showers or uh, things like that the the regular amenities that we would have um, on a typical base this was more of a almost like a a thrown together base right just a a place for us to hang out while we were training with the Korean Marines basically it we all had cots kerosene heaters and we were always fighting over the kerosene you know trying to break in each other's hooches at night and, and siphon the kerosene out so we used to uh, go into town a lot and, uh, you know, hit the, hit the showers there and, and get something good to eat and then come back. Of course, we were drinking in between. Um, after that, we uh, came back to Japan and we were told that we would be extended another six months. So we were so ecstatic. Um, that was filled with more typhoon parties, uh, barracks halo, and a lot of drunken nights. Um, of course, we all went scuba diving, swimming, you know, cliff diving, you know, 
trying to uh, run around Okinawa, you know, skateboard parks, all kinds of stuff. We, we, we did have a lot of fun. We had a lot to do. Um, after all that was done, we rotated back to the States. And then we got news that we would be going to Kuwait um, in support of OIF. And um, we came back for, I don't think it was too long. Uh, honestly, that, that part of the timeline is a little screwed up for me. It must have been, you know, three, four months maybe. Um, maybe it's a little bit longer, maybe it's a little bit shorter. Um, but we came back to the States. We did some training. Um, everybody went home on, on uh, vacation on Libo to, to their family and uh, came back. And then we were off to Kuwait. Um, I couldn't even tell you what, where we were at in Kuwait, the name of the base, anything. That has completely, you know, just, just lost my mind. I've, it slipped me completely. Um, and to be honest, I, I don't even know if I remember ever asking or hearing while we were there, to be uh, truthfully honest. I'm sure somebody knows. Um, after that, we did a hellacious convoy um, from Kuwait all the way to Al-Assad Air Base. And uh, we were all living in these... Uh, uh, Middle Eastern tents out there and some GP tents and, and stuff and uh, really didn't have much you know we didn't have internet phones nothing like that uh, we had a sat phone that we got a rotated and we would call our families you know basically once a week just to let them know we're, we're still alive um, then we started going on patrols and uh, that's when all the fun started um, I believe it was the first night patrol that we went on. Um, we went past a little uh, um, power relay uh, subsystem um, out by Al-Assad. It was a couple miles uh, from the base. You know, I don't want to say it was too many or too little, but um, I really don't remember the distance. It's pretty, pretty fucking bad, huh? But uh it was the first night we got we received contact it was contact right we were going past a uh, little electrical subsystem um outside the base out there and believe it was um you know just maintenance crew they were out there protecting of course they didn't know we were coming uh we had no idea they were there um it was completely dark you know mvgs you know the whole the whole get up at night um, and at that point, I believe I was in the second Humvee and I was running with the saw and we still had no up armored Humvees, um, no kind of metal plating, uh, nothing. We didn't even have sandbags in the back. Um, you know, we didn't know what to expect. We, we still had, you know, the flimsy, uh, vinyl doors, you know, there was no kind of protection. Uh, we basically had the, um, pickup truck version of the Humvee and um, man that model slips my head again there's a lot of things that I kind of pushed out of my head um, once I got out but we didn't have any up armor um, you know received contact right uh, I racked the M249 and just let her go um, I had a PAF 13 on the top 
Um, so I had MVG. You know, I could see what was going on. Uh, there was at least three shooting at us. Um, made positive contact with them. And then I remember hearing our lieutenant at the time. Um, he's a Filipino gentleman. His name was uh, Lieutenant Sun. And uh, I think he was more excited than anything at the time to um, receive contact. Uh, you know, I, I, I just recall him yelling over the radio, like, God damn it, gun. You got us combat action ribbon. You know, I, I remember it specifically like that. It wasn't about that to me. It was honestly about my own life. Uh, at first, really didn't know what the hell was going on for like the first uh, three to five seconds. And I was like, shit, what is that? I'm like, what's that sound? Why does that sound so close? And it sounds like popcorn popping above my head. And as soon as, you know, things got through this thick skull of mine, um, I knew what was going on. Started yelling contact right and started engaging the enemy. Um, after that, we had received uh, small arm fires a uh, couple, couple, you know, a couple more times. Not just through that area, uh, not that area specifically, but going through Heat and Ramadi. Um, just different areas through there. Um, sometimes it was daytime, sometimes it was nighttime. Um, we got ambushed um, on April 1st, 2004. And that's when my life um, really changed. I had a good friend of mine, two really good friend of mine. Um, was in the Humvee behind me. Derek was driving, and Travis, um, he was in the passenger seat. And this was late into the patrol, and we have gotten word um, at their intel shop, had gotten a good hard confirmation from an informant that they knew where a weapons cache was. Um, so we head out to the area, and as we get out there, you know, it's, it's again, you know, two, three in the morning. Um, there's no starlight. There's no moonlight. There's no nothing. And we're running with MVG. So it's already, you know, a clusterfuck as it is. You can't see anything. Um, you know, everybody got, uh, kind of complaints that, uh, for the most part, right. Everybody was kind of relaxed. Um, I was in the second Humvee in the passenger seat. Normally I was running, uh, machine gunner either on the second Humvee or um, on the first Humvee it's usually mounted and for whatever reason that night I let another junior marine who had been bugging me and bugging me about uh, you know wanting to be in the lead Humvee on the mounted machine gun so I let him he had the PAF 13 so we we pull up to this uh, what we think is the destination um, as we're coming around this this corner on the outskirts of this town um, and they probably had you know it's like 10 12 foot um, concrete wall all the way down and we're kind of pulling alongside that maybe you know 20 30 feet away from that and little do we know that there is a ditch um, literally right beside us probably another 15 20 feet away on our left hand side so uh, we pull up and we're parallel with this ditch and we're going pretty slow you know five, six miles an hour at, at most. And we start receiving small arms fire um, on the third Humvee. And um, I remember hearing, you know, 
Derek yelling at me that um, you know Travis was hit. And for me personally, you know, these were my two best friends. Um, you know, so I felt uh, you know like it was a little bit more personal, right? One, one of my really good friends is has been shot, and two, they're both under fire. And I felt you know it was my obligation more so because I was so close to them to kind of throw myself into that situation um, by any means necessary. Chris Vancher, he was driving. As soon as I had heard that, uh, I just looked at Chris and I, I jumped out of the Humvee. Again, you know, we were going, you know, five, six miles an hour. It couldn't have been no more than 10 total. Um, I jumped out, started returning fire from the back of our Humvee and running just to get to my friend just to put myself in, in harm's way just so he didn't have to suffer. Because at that point, I didn't know the extent to his injury, where he'd been shot, how he'd been shot, if he was still alive, none of that. So I'm returning fire, get up to his Humvee, I open the door, you know, and there's, there's blood, and uh, he got shot in the um, left arm, right above his elbow. And I'll get I'll get into how that all happened here in a minute. Um, I grabbed Travis, pulled him out, and uh, threw him up against the Humvee, and um, was trying to figure out what to do. You know, um, definitely clouded judgment, definitely clouded everything. Um, especially this was my friend, but I I wanted nothing more than to make the pain stop for him. So as soon as I got him against the wheel well, um, Derek comes running around somehow. I, I don't know how the hell um, he was not hit or harmed anything in that whole exchange. I, I have no clue. And as I'm down there with Travis, you know, Derek comes running around and, you know, Travis is like, fuck, it burns. It burns so bad. So... You know, I started freaking out a little bit. I was like, fuck, who's got a knife? Who's got a knife? Uh, of course, we all did. We all had our K-bars, and, you know, it's to my left uh, left breast. Um, he's like, you got one, you dumb fuck. <laughs> you know, just one of those uh, moments to, to, to bring you back down. I was like, oh, shit. So, grabbed it, cut it, and uh, uh, cut the sleeve off, and then... Uh, rammed my finger in there and Derek was going through getting some bandages and, and stuff to plug the hole as I pull a, pull my finger out to help him you know he kind of puts his finger on it again to apply pressure you know, wrap the bandage and you know get him back on his feet and back into the fight um, the whole time this is happening the four Marines in the back of that same Humvee were exchanging gunfire um, with a machine gunner and ended up being an, um, an RPK. That was a 7.62 308 uh, round. Automatic bell fed machine gun. Um, not everybody was. Um, as lucky as, as Derek and uh, Travis and, and myself that day. Hell, everybody else, you know, to be uh, quite frank. We, we, we had a junior Marine 
Um, his name was um, Dustin Sakula. And um, Dustin, he was from Texas. He was a cowboy. He was a young kid. He came to us um, just before we had pumped over Iraq. Just, geez. It must have been like the last three or four months we were in Okinawa. And um, we had picked him up. We got a new uh, boot drop. And then uh, he did some training with us and then rotated to Iraq with us. And I'm still convinced to this day that, um, you know, Dustin obviously saw positively, unequivocally, without a doubt, he saw exactly where that machine gun fire was coming from. And he was exchanging along with um, two other junior Marines in, in the back of that Humvee. He, um, he, he, you know, he, he got killed. It's still kind of hard for me these days to talk about it. And even the people that were there, I guess over the years, you know, I've just learned to, to deal with it and talk to myself about it. And, you know, I've talked to a few other people about it. Um, but it's the first time, you know, I've really opened up to any kind of um, group or, or mass um, about this. So as I'm down there, me and Derek are, you know, trying to Dr. Travis the, the best way that we can and look up and um, he's exchanging fire and just yelling at him, you know, keep him, you know, keep fucking slamming him, hit him with everything. Then he took a round to the head. The Marine on the, on the left side of him caught him. It was his best friend at the time, Cordova. Cordova was holding him and laying down the back of the Humvee as he was bleeding out. And we continued to exchange fire. Enemy was suppressed. Firefight was over with. And this all happened in the matter of two to three minutes. It was very fast. When I look back on it, it seems like, you know, it took 20, 30 minutes. But in reality, that wasn't the case. And Sam had called in a medevac, and he was a squad leader for the uh, 4th Humvee. And Sam, you know, he, he somehow he found the only army Blackhawk that was heading back towards Al-Assad and the guy was only about uh, two, two minutes away from us and he had turned around and he had slammed that damn Blackhawk down right behind the 4th Humvee right in between power lines and that 10 foot wall and I've never personally never knew who that pilot was you know, what unit they were with, anything. But, you know, I guess this is my time just to say, you know, thank you. I've never um, been able to express that before. And it wasn't, I don't know. It's a, it's a different kind of thank you because I know, you know, they were just doing their job, you know, whoever that person was. And maybe they remember that engagement. Maybe they don't. I, I'm not sure. But, you know, I can damn well tell you all of us were very much uh, appreciative. Because as soon as that Blackhawk slammed down, 
we had um, Dustin on a litter and he was still alive and he was talking to us saying that um, he was going to come back and don't worry you know he wasn't hurt you know that bad he he got on the Blackhawk Travis followed right behind him um, and as far as I've ever been told from Travis is that he just died in flight on the way back to the hospital um, I still remember that on a, on a daily basis and it um, I guess this is one of those things that just is going to stay with me forever and it's always going to haunt me and it's not because and it's going to sound wrong but it's not because of who it was I guess it was just the whole situation because I, I believe I would react the same way no matter what that it would be haunting because one you just watched somebody take a round to the to the head and somehow live for X amount of time but was talking to you afterwards and then they're gone we had taken the Humvee after that back to FOB Heat which is where Echo Company was at and um, me and Derek were tasked with um, spraying out the Humvee now again this is you know probably four in the morning I'm very surprised that um, Dustin had lived or even uh, you know was even alive for 30 seconds and two had any kind of um, physical movement or vocal movement um, just by everything that was left over in the back of that truck and that pungent smell had already set in of uh, drying blood that metallic taste that you get uh, in the air and around you it was definitely present that morning once we got it all cleaned up we me and Derek just kind of looked at each other and uh, we just broke down both of us <laughs> you know two you know hard charging you know kill 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 marines all of a sudden had feelings and um, I'm very grateful for that you know five minutes of just uh, unloading my my soul and um, I'll always be grateful for that most people don't get that most people don't get after something like that happens um, you, you're basically you gotta hold it in until after everything's done and that could be hours that could be days So I'm very fortunate for that. Um, once that was over with, um, we went we RTB, and everybody was sleeping, and we were still in the GP tents. And I walked in to the second squad, and woke up all the squad leaders, 
and uh, inform them of uh, you know what had what had transpired. And I didn't even realize at the time that um, I was pretty well soaked with blood from my legs, uh, you know, all the way up to to my neck. Um, most of it, I'm gonna assume, was was Travis's, just you know, grabbing him and him bleeding. Dustin, uh, you know, uh, helping him come off uh, on the litter and, and then clean out the, the Humvee. But I got the wonderful task of um, telling everybody, you know, what transpired. Um, nobody wanted to believe me at first, you know. I thought I was completely bullshitting and that, you know, I was just joking around. But... When everybody found out, you know, reality had set in and, and um, you know, the war all of a sudden got a lot more personal, right? Cause, because you had taken out somebody who I personally knew and somebody who was my uh, extremely close friend. Um, and that's when things started to kind of go downhill a little bit for me. Even when we were there, there were a lot of times... Um, where you just said fuck it and I've, I've tried to, to I've tried my best in life to explain this to people but if you weren't there you're, you're not going to understand you just hit a wall once you start seeing people dying and people that you know personally or you're on QRF like we were and or whether you're on QRF and you're going out in support to um, help clean up where you know tankers had been ambushed and everybody's dead and been slaughtered or when you're driving back and somehow the IED misses you doesn't go off but it goes off on the Humvee behind you and you see that in the mirror and it's like slow motion once all that happens you definitely get that fuck it in your system to where you don't care. You're done caring. All you want is either revenge or to die. And that's where I was at personally. So once we came back from Iraq, things got different. Um, one, I got to see my best friend, you know, again, which was wonderful. You know, I was very thankful and happy for that. But number two, um, had a completely different outlook on the world and how things worked. And I still really didn't give two shits. When I got back, things had changed um, for me personally. You know, I was happy to see my best friend again. Um, but at the same time, everything was very surreal and felt like a dream or a nightmare. And I didn't really know how to deal with that. The Marine Corps really didn't give you, um, at least at that time, any kind of ways to deal with it. One that I'm aware of. Um... So I just went upon my, my merry way, got out of the Marine Corps, March of uh, 2005. Um, I was living in um, northern Nevada and uh, was drinking heavily. Um, and I had a girlfriend at the time and I was very lazy. So after I got done, you know, being lazy as shit and... You know, just not really um, thinking too logically at the time. 
I had a couple odds and end jobs and then got a job as being a uh, police officer. Personally, I don't think it was the right fit for me. Maybe it would be today, but back then um, I was still full of a lot of rage and anger and it didn't help. You know, I, I over-escalated situations that didn't need to be, you know, so. Then I also had uh, a flashback of the academy. Um, and that didn't help either. That definitely didn't help things. That's what, um, you know, I, I got removed from the academy. And after that, I get to send some counseling in Salt Lake City. And that helped out for a little while. That, that was my first time dealing with counseling. I kind of put that behind me. And just kept pressing forward and then started running heavy equipment. I was running heavy equipment out of the gold mine in northern Nevada. Uh, it was a fun job, you know, running around with giant Tonka trucks and shit. I mean, you know, you know, what kid growing up didn't like that, you know? A lot of fun. Time had passed and that girlfriend turned into my wife, which then turned into my ex-wife. Um, and I lived in northern Nevada for about one more year after that. And... I just paid everything off that I had, and I moved back to Virginia. Probably the best thing for me. You know, I had no family, no nothing out there. So when I got back here, at least I had, you know, my mom, my stepdad and stuff. So, you know, things are looking better. And then a friend of mine introduced me uh, to my current wife. And that's when things really changed for me. Now, I still, to this day, still have... You know anger issues and I just get annoyed and you know just just a lot of things with that's associated with the PTSD um, but I can't say you know I've got four beautiful children all the way from one and a half my, my son all the way up to 14 I have three daughters and one boy and you know as hard as um, it is to, to have children and raise them. I do believe that's what kind of grounded me back down to earth. You know, again, like I said, I still have my moments. I can be a real asshole. I can be a real shithead. I can have no empathy, no sympathy, no nothing. And I don't take that on my kids or anything. It's usually geared to the only person that can take that, right? Which would be my wife. My wife has been a trooper and... Um, you know, I'm very, very grateful, very happy to have her. Um, because without her, there's no telling, you know, what kind of shit I could have got into or not be grounded at all. Um, I also have a great group of friends, you know, who I was in the Marine Corps with, and, and we still talk. And it's, you know, um, it, it helps things out a lot. Um, and these days, you know, I got away from running heavy equipment and, and being a police officer and everything. And I got back into my passion, which was IT. I'm currently a systems engineer for a uh, Fortune 300 company. I really love it. You know, personally, it, it helps me. I'm not coming home stressed and overtired anymore. It's, it's great. It's kind of the, the perfect job for me, you know, for now. Great work environment. I have a good support system at work. Um, we have a, a group of about 30 vets, and we have uh, bi-weekly meetings and, you know, get-togethers, and, and we do stuff for, um, you know, Wounded Warrior Project and, you know, Veterans Day Parade and Flag Day, you know, just, just a lot of good stuff. So it keeps me active. And recently, I met another friend uh, who's into fly fishing, and um, 
I look very much forward to, to going out fly fishing and, and, you know, sharing that bond with him because he was also, he was in the army, but he's a two year combat vet. He's in Afghan and, and Iraq and, uh, it's really helped him out. So, um, you know, there's no reason why I can't go do that, but there you go. That's the lowdown on me, you know, probably wondering who this, uh, boot motherfucker is you know, talking to all these people. And to be honest, um, I wanted to do it to just one, you know, talk to other like-minded, uh, you know, personnel from, from the military, but two, you know, I'm not a license, you know, uh, at all to, (laughs) you know, any kind of, uh, professional, uh, speaker or, or, uh, anything like that therapist, you know, nothing like that. But I have been tried, Excuse me, I, the VA <laughs> tried to put me into some group therapy sessions, and I'm, I'm just not down with that. So um, I came up with this idea, and, um, you know, if anything, uh, people can relate. You know, I, I hope people like it. I hope people listen to it. It's not about me. It may inadvertently help me, which is great, you know, make some friends. Know, go do some cool shit that's great but ultimately it's about the other person because a lot of people that I've talked to have not talked to anybody else but yet they're willing to share their story on here and uh, that's what it's about you know I'm personally not here to get people who were just you know covered in medals for you know their actions of combat um, that's awesome but as we all know, some shit had to go wrong for that person or persons um, to get awarded those those medals and have those ceremonies. So it's not really so much about that. It's more or less about the individual. And maybe they had a turning tide in the combat as well. And people around them know that, but they were never recognized or... Maybe it's just, uh, you know, the stress from from coming back home from combat. Maybe they've never shared these things with uh, family or their their significant other. So hopefully I can start being that platform uh, for people who want to come on and share their story and, you know, talk about the good and talk about the bad. So I hope you all um, have learned a little bit about me and where I come from, you know, just kind of how my life is. I do hope everybody returns and comes back and, and hears these other people's stories, man. Uh, I mean, that's what it's what it's all about. That's what I've said from the beginning. The whole idea um, of this podcast is just get their story out, let them vent, let them talk. Uh, maybe we'll cry, maybe we'll laugh the whole time. You know, it, it doesn't matter to me. It's just um, talking to that individual and, and hanging out and enjoying that conversation so i hope you all return i think i'm gonna do this every other week you know give myself some space and some time uh i'm by no means a professional at this <laughs> or uh have you know really the proper equipment but um i'm gonna keep plugging away at it until i get uh as good as i can and i hope everybody uh returns for for the journey ahead thank you